Welcome to Health Unabashed, the show that is unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation that promotes a sustainable and equitable healthcare delivery and financing system. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and thought leader Gil Bash, the show looks at the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage top industry talent who share their insights and best practices to create sustainable change. On today's show, our guest is health economist, advisor, trend weaver, and global educator, Jane Saracen-Khan. Jane supports clients across the healthcare ecosystem at the intersection of health, technology, and people. She collaborates on strategy, scenario planning, and environmental analysis. She blogs at Health Populi, founded in 2007, sits on several advisory boards, is represented by several speakers bureaus, and serves as member global educator faculty for Duke Corporate Education. Jane works and lives between Philadelphia and Brussels, Belgium. And with that introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, thank you so much for the introduction. And I know we're speaking today with someone we both hold uh, dear and in high esteem. Of course, we're speaking to the global health economist, Jane Saracen Khan. She is also a popular author and speaker. Um, I, I actually um, adore her as an industry colleague, but I also consider Jane a, a bit of a guide and futurist when she's writing. And we'll talk a little bit about her columns. When she's writing, she pinpoints issues that need to be on the um, the top of our priority keep in mind lists. Jane, welcome to the program here on Health Unabashed with my friend and colleague, our co-host, Greg Masters. Greg, by the way, also has a great show on Healthcare Now Radio dedicated to uh, Pop Health Week, and it's a a must-listen-to program. Jane, you and I have um, really been uh, tracking each other very, very closely through many years. I want to thank you for including um, a little segment of my article on how artificial intelligence, or as I love to call it, really augmented intelligence, can help heal a um, a fractured, uh, ailing health system. That uh, was great of you to include that. And I wanted to start off and, and ask you a little bit behind the scenes. Your really a brilliant author who pinpoints priorities, health priorities around the globe. Uh, Could you share with us a little bit behind the scenes of what catches your eye and why and why you make that decision to include it? You use words sparingly. So obviously to get into one of your columns, and I think I've, I've made it three times this year. So I'm like super duper honored. What, what's the criteria? Thanks, Gil. I'm so delighted to be with you and Greg uh, behind the scenes. So thanks, Greg, for shepherding this. Um, So health economics is the study of scarce resources. And when we look at health uh, as microeconomics of health care, resources are very scarce, although in the U.S., of course, we devote almost one in every five dollars to uh, healthcare spending nationally or 20 cents on the dollar of a household when you add up all the spending of premiums and such. So to me, um, the, it becomes 
an issue of how do we spend smarter? So I'm an economist and I'm married to a banker. So our household is, you know, obsessed with value, um, whether it's value at the grocery store or value for our own healthcare premium or value at retail, right? We're, we're, we're a value family and I grew up in a value-based family as well. So I'm kind of obsessed about thinking about how do we not waste resource in health, whether it's capital or human capital, nurses, physicians, um, and other allied health professionals, um, real estate, right? And then finally, uh, digital technology and how much we spend on that and clearly have wasted in that. So all that really um, gets to me and motivates me to figure out how do we um, resource health and healthcare? And it's health that we need to resource not so much healthcare. So that's where I've been spending a lot of my time in the last 10 of the 30 year career that I've had. I've only ever been a consultant to the healthcare industry since I left graduate school at University of Michigan, 10 years with big firms globally uh, in the US and Europe, not globally Asia. I've, I have not worked much in Asia except Australia and New Zealand, but US and Europe are sort of my geographies for health economics. So when you talk about me global, that's sort of the two, the two areas where I have focused. But um, the last 10 years in my own business with Think Health, um, advising companies, observing, uh, brainstorming with, it's really been looking at the drivers of health and how do we shift the spending, if we can, toward more primary care and more of the uh, what have we have called the social determinants of health, which now I think I'm just calling drivers of health because they're not all just social, but there are lots of drivers like climate, for example. So for 10, 15 years, a half, a half of the 30 I've worked, it's really shifted my thinking from tertiary care where I started working early on, hospitals, health plans, pharma, and some big med tech, and then learning on my own, being on my own, not working with big firms anymore, picking and choosing the clients I work with to learn with them about food, transportation, mental health, financial health, and uh, clean air, clean water. And so that's been sort of the last uh, third to half of the career. Those are the things that really excite me, the opportunities to cover everybody for healthcare and drive outcomes for all. And as a kid from Detroit, you know, I, I saw early on. Detroit's coming back. Detroit's coming back big time. So, so, uh, so, uh, you know, first of all, we're going to definitely get into the whole aspect of, of um, environmental health. You know, I, just as an aside, since you know you you really are touching so many different parts of our fragmented health ecosystem, if the the U.S. based hospital segment were a nation, were a country, um, it would be the fifth largest polluter in the world. When you think of a surgical disposables, hospital gowns, syringes, all of that, uh, it's unbelievable. And actually, it's on the heels of. Uh, the United States and Russia and China and many of the vast developed nations of the world, our health industry is a significant, unfortunately, contributor 
to the environmental hazards we're facing in the world. Um, so that's certainly something we can get into. But you, you, you started off with something that I find curious. You know, two years ago, the the health segment on GDP was about you know eighteen point four percent of GDP. Now it's popping. It's just tipping the twenty percent mark, as you noted. Um, and obviously, there's there's no ending. But you you hedged your bets in your comment. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, I'm the host. I'll put you a little on the spot. Um, you didn't say where the money was going, and we both know that it's it's not all going to the delivery of health care to people. It's going somewhere. I've read some reports that say 50% of it goes to actual care and then 50% of it goes to, I don't know where. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts about that as an economist who's looking for value? Yeah, well, the where I'm at on that is about 30% goes to administrative waste, the way the Commonwealth Fund looks at it. And there are many forms of administrative waste. Some is duplication. Uh, and why duplication? Well, some people blame that on um, uh, the medical liability front, the, the lawyers, who we everybody likes to blame the lawyers um, for you know defensive medicine, medicine. Some administrative waste is because we use fax machines for networking still paper-based systems i spent many years working with caqh on um, a project where we're trying to bring electron this is very wonky stuff but wonky stuff's important data standards for paying uh bills digitally for you know i get i still get checks from my big insurance company i'm i'm on an as do i here's your reimbursement five six bucks in a check it costs more to cut the darn check so i'm like okay and i work on this stuff the shoemaker's child was without shoes so there's administrative waste due to lack of digital and we think digital transformations about genomics and that well we're cutting paper checks which is if we can't digitize that, which banks know how to do and retailers do, you know, it's getting better, but um, we got to keep moving that that paper waste out. And, you know, Newt Gingrich wrote a book called Paper Kills many years ago, and his work was part of what informed that initial project I worked on many years ago. So this is not a new, new problem. We just can't get rid of it. In any case, waste is, a, is about a third of the three plus trillion dollars we spent it's a lot of cash i'm just thinking about the fact that you know here we're in we're, we're we're privileged to be part of one of the world's most innovative industry sectors when it comes to inventing uh incredible molecules that can sustain and and save lives and yet uh despite the cures act of uh of uh 2022 we're we're you know that and before then we we pledged to 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 send fax machines to the recycling heap and yet um major hospital systems have rooms dedicated to the fax machine um you know my own experience with the fax machine is people think of it as the fax well many doctors have their notes they record their notes and then they wait for office assistants to type up the transcript so that it can be faxed uh, my own experience was actually my mother's um, cancer had progressed to new stages and I asked her two clinicians, leading physicians, why they hadn't communicated. And they honestly said, well, 
this one's notes had to be typed up and then faxed over to me. And so there was a delay. I said, why don't you just walk over? They're in the same hospital system. So we're not talking about interoperability. We're just talking about collaboration and communication. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of waste. You talked about duplication of care. Um, you know, we, we do that. So I, I want to return to something else you said, Jane, that I thought was so important, the, the drivers, the drivers of health, which I like a lot better than social determinants of health. Um, you know, you and I have talked in the past about the Medicaid population, and that's a neglected population. You know, generally, they often say, you know, 20% of the population needs 80% of the care. And people on, who are on Medicaid are on Medicaid for very specific reasons, and we should cite those. They're usually impoverished. They're below the poverty line. They need some sort of safety net provided by the U.S. government to give them some baseline of care. And, and thankfully, they have at least that. But from your studies, I'd be interested in knowing what are those people dealing with? I, I'm assuming they're dealing with a whole slew of non-communable diseases like heart disease and diabetes and respiratory disease and mental mental anguish and struggle. Um, I'm, have you come across that? What's your perspective about that Medicaid population? And is there a better solution here for them? Because they clearly are in need of health services and clearly based on the progression of their disease, they're, they're not getting a lot of help. So when we think about people enrolled in Medicaid, I don't tend to use a phrase like Medicaid population. I talk about the people who are in the program. It's an insurance program. So they're covered by Medicaid. But if somebody is eligible to be covered by Medicaid, then as I often write and say, these drivers of health travel in groups. You don't just suffer from one risk to, to then cause you to be eligible for Medicaid. You tend to have food insecurity, so you're eligible probably for SNAP benefits or what we used to call food stamps, but food security benefits. You probably live in a zip code or a postal code if you're, in, I was just in London last week dealing with the dirty water and polio there, uh, polio risk there. I mean, these things are global and where, depending where you live. So if you tend to have food security, you tend not to have a great job that's paying you a, a, what we'll call a fair wage. I'm using quotes here. Um, that's why we talk about a minimum wage that's a livable wage. Joe Biden talked a lot about that in his presidential campaign. But th th these aren't just words. A livable wage, particularly now in an inflationary period, means you can buy food for your family. And people enrolled in Medicaid tend to be moms. And a lot, did you know, Gil, that most births in America are to women enrolled in Medicaid? So babies are being born in these situations. So we want to go upstream. Did not know that. Thank you. We want to move upstream instead of downstream when somebody's already enrolled in Medicaid. We want to get to prenatal care. That's why that's so important. Spend a dollar there. It, it you know, it magnifies. This is the economist in me who has studied this, who believes this and knows what she knows about this. Knowing you, Jane, also the humanist as well, not just the the dollars and cents of the euros, but your 
you, you've been an advocate for uh, people's well-being for quite some time. So, I mean, we think about upstream, that's prenatal care, that's food security, and as Nancy Pelosi would say, education, education, education. Like education is the dollar you spend that has the biggest payback, the biggest ROI over a life. So if you start and you educate early, you know, think of what Oprah's done with girls in, in South Africa. She knows the data. You invest a buck in education for a little girl, she's going to go someplace. So we have these drivers of health that travel in groups. And if we had, we can call this investment in social care versus medical care. But whatever it is, the U.S. spending is inverse on this in terms of medical care. Great with very difficult cancers. You want to be in America if you get cancer. But that's about the only thing we excel in globally compared to other nations. So cancer, we are cancer great, you know, but in terms of doing well with outcomes. But primary care is what we're lack. I mean, if I could pick one thing besides education and the on-ramp to primary care, which as I was in London last week, I've always reminded every person living in the UK has a GP in the district where they live, which is their point of care, the on-ramp into the system. You don't have to use it, but everybody's got that card. I used to have one when I lived in London and worked there early in my career. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is health economist, advisor, trend weaver, and global educator, Jane Saracen Kong. I, I want to grab you there. I want to speak to you about that because in you know, you you're really looking at comparative systems of developed nations in Europe and the United States and you know certainly when I was growing up uh, I had a pediatrician and then a primary care physician who followed me and, and this is of course in the um the early pre and early digital area uh, of, of of computerization of information um but we we've gone to a place now of the consumerization of of health so that the primary care physician is almost viewed like, you know, my dry cleaner, which is, gee, can you give me the shirt on Monday, please? And you no, know, it's, I, I know, I know it's Friday. I need it back on Monday. And, you know, if they say, I'm so sorry, I can't, you go down the street to another dry cleaner who will. And so, you know, we've seen this proliferation of walk-in clinics, whether it's at retail pharmacy, whether it's physicians opening up their own Medimerge, um, and, and so in an era where we don't really have electronic medical records, personal records that are shared from system to system, we're now in an era where the consumer can kind of make it up as they go along. They can go to a doctor and when they get the, the clipboard, which is still like the fax machine that asks you to write out your health background and so forth, but no, nobody gets an iPad to sort of like and they don't transfer the data or you don't scan it. We, we make it up as we go along. We're our own health archivists now, our own health historians. The doctor that you see on the walk-in clinic is just really transactional. I have a rash here, what do you think? Um, just use this you know, corticosteroid, it should go away in a day or two. If not, go make an appointment with a dermatologist. You feel really assured and you're out of there. And, and so nobody's sort of saying, 
gee, what's your A1C look like? What's what's your cholesterol look like? You know, what what's your white blood cell count look like? You know, that rash may not be you know, eczema. It might actually be the early signs of a blood cancer. But we'll never know until you're sick um, of this because of it, it's so transactional. It is first of all, what's your take on that? Am I right or wrong? And and is is this whole sort of like consumerization of health in the United States actually going to make it harder for us to create some sort of unified health system where we actually have health records that make sense and we're actually able to shift more to preventive or interventional care since it's just like, here's my rash. So it is about the data. So I, I've been working with health IT almost my whole career, but I didn't start working on health IT till I lived in the UK, worked with the NHS, who was actually looking at outcomes and inputs because they were only spending 40 cents on the dollar compared to what we spend in the US. So they had to do the Warren Buffett thing. They had to measure and manage what they measured. We didn't have to do that because our tech systems early on, again, we're looking at 80s into 90s before the High Tech Act, they were billing systems. Basically, you captured what the 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 um, volumes that you were doing, the encounters, and you got paid. So that's the origins of this fragmented volume versus value-based system. I am hopeful, though, having worked up 20 years plus with health IT innovators, big ones and startups, that we can do this, we can, we haven't yet, but we're getting to the point where with data liquidity, APIs, again, wonky stuff, the ability to move data around, code it right, move through the cloud, and then to open systems, we can start to capture the data from urgent care, from the retail pharmacy, to the doula, um, to a home care company, off of our Apple Watch, I'm pointing to mine right now, my aura ring on my right hand, etc. Gail, I mean, we're, we're sisters and brothers here. We are starting to see the green shoots of this, um, of, of, of electronic health records, being able to accept this data and, and play with it and amplify it from within the record using APIs. Now, one has to have some semblance of an EHR from somewhere. So this is where a primary care provider or even your cardiologist may be your primary care provider or your GYN if you're a young woman. Like my daughter's 26. She doesn't have a, a real primary care physician, doesn't really see the need for one yet, but that GYN does everything with her and even records her mood because, you know, she's a young woman who, you know, can be hormonal like women and men at different ages. So data can be captured. Yeah, it's totally biological. You know, it's you're, you're talking about a system where the consumer recognizes the value of integrated health. I, I just want to go back to your UK example, which I thought was great, where you have a um, sort of a, a general contractor of your health, the primary care physician, who is coordinating with the electrician, who is coordinating with the plumber, coordinating with the carpenter, um, and, and bringing it all together so that your, your, your body is actually well-maintained, like the kitchen you want to have built in your home. And, and we've thrown out the general contractor right now. The consumer has has reassigned that role to themselves. Um, and I think there's good 
in that that the consumer is going to have to get a lot more savvy about you know what's happening here. Um, but I also think as a result of that, a lot is falling in between the cracks in terms of preventive care. Um, I want to get your perspective about this um, COVID era. I don't use the I, I I actually don't refer to it as post COVID. We certainly are in COVID right now. I've just read a report that. Um, 300 people, 65 plus, um, are dying, who are vaccinated, are dying each day from COVID-directed deaths. Obviously, we're now learning a lot about how age and and uh, pre-existing conditions are, are drivers of, of COVID mortality and morbidity. Um, I, I want to get your read on how the COVID era is getting the health systems to sort of recalibrate or rethink um, how it's using information and how it's using its capital. Well, at the beginning um, of COVID, of course, we didn't know what we didn't know. So there were a lot of wild cards that we were surmising. And I think what I alluded to in my blog today at the end, when I'm, I cited your wonderful essay in Medical Life, is that we something happened in uh, before COVID, there was an anti-vax movement, which was marginal at the ends. There was, you know, but we had a normal curve for vaccinations and preventive care. But things got really politicized um, at the, you know, during at the beginning of COVID, and of course during um, the four years of the Trump administration, and then that just continued now. So that um, facts weren't facts, and data, you know, evidence wasn't evidence. And so bad decisions were being made in local areas um, and at the federal level, you know, we, we did have the brilliant um, fast build of the, of the um, mRNA vaccine, you know, that was great, but we had the platform there to build on. We have to remember basic science and NIH covered a lot of the early, early development for what led to our ability to fast track the vaccines, which are, are such blessings to this day. Um, COVID definitely accelerated investment in um, digital platforms, particularly telehealth of all sorts, and bless, God bless that. I mean, people were able to get care. Um, that era of medical distancing, though, created an era of ex, what we call coldly in health economics, excess deaths that might have been averted were people to get their um, their uh, cancer preventive screenings, whether mammograms or prostate exams or colonoscopies. So we are seeing an uptick in some, some bad things. Um, again, we can't manage what we don't measure. And we're really bloody bad in America at understanding what we get from the spend. Uh, of what we spent on. And of course, just coming out of the health meeting, which I did not attend, but my great friend, Lisa Sunan, who writes the Venture Valkyrie blog, her blog this week um, uses the title of the um, Talking Heads song, Same As It Ever Was, or the phrase, Same As It Ever Was, which is Once In A Lifetime is the song. I saw that, Jane. It's, it's incredible. You know, Jane, it is such an honor and pleasure having you on Health Unabashed with Greg Masters and myself. And I'm, I'm hoping you'll come back later in the year. We have um, really gone quickly through our, our time together, and it just isn't enough. Jane Saracen-Khan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Gil. 
And that's a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guest, health economist, advisor, trend weaver, and global educator, Jane Saracen Khan. Do follow her work on Twitter via at HealthyThinker and on the web by www.HealthPopuli, that's P-O-P-U-L-I, dot com. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at HealthCareNowRadio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters, M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs, and do remember to tag your tweets with hashtag HealthUnabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health.